What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Howdy. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney. I'm Jordan. I'm Kara Cooney. Yes. Um, and today we're going to be talking about ancient Egypt's spooky edition. Um, as you tell, it's what, 80 degrees here? Yeah, it's really, really fall, weathery. Um, I'm channeling with my nails, though. Have, oh, look at you. I went dark. No, I, I have bare nails and I haven't bitten them all off yet, which for a nail we biter went, is we significant. We went yesterday and got it done. What color so, is it? It's like, it's like a dark plant? green. Oh, that's beautiful. Like army. That's I was like nice. channeling. I'm manifesting fall. Toes too. I did What's the toes that? myself. Those shoes are so cute. Thank you. Made well. Oh, sponsor us. See, this is what happens when you get two chicks together <laughs> to make a podcast. Well, anyway. since our last taping, anything happening? I mean, lots of writing. social media stuff and lots of writing stuff. Yeah, the Coffins book just is the albatross around my neck that I must release and set free. Um, and it's just so big and so huge. It's just taking a long Slowly time. coming along. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, trying to work through all the PDFs and all of the the different things that I haven't read yet, and um, and figure out what I need I to do. That. Yeah, just collecting all the PDFs and putting them into the folder of the to be read TBR folder that you never get to. <laughs> well, I'm getting to it That's and it. looking through it, and mm-hmm. it's terrifying all that I have to read. So we're doing yeah. that, and slowly, um, slowly. Next week, I'll start to figure out how to integrate all of my voluminous notes back into the text that I've already written. We'll see. Figure it out. Best of luck. Um, so for today's episode, we're going to be focusing the first half on kind of ghosts and hauntings and looking at, you know, what evidence we have for ancient Egypt and the second half from my true love of true crime, um, we'll be looking at true, tri- true crime in ancient Egypt and see what evidence we have for that. We have a couple good primary, some case studies I've pulled. This is more than Jordan Galzinski shows today than it is the Karakuni show, which I'm fine with because it's, it's ghosts and true crime. So, which I love. So she's gonna she's gonna lead this one. My uh, homage to all my true crime podcasts. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I guess we'll do first a content warning because some explicit content possibly coming up with some sexual assault discussions of Paneb and all that good stuff. Some so murder, assassination, murder, assassination, ghosts, things like that. And so, if you can't handle any of these things, you can opt out now. Another kind of note this won't be about pharaoh's curses in kind of modern times this is uh, where we're looking at the ancient egyptian evidence what do we have for this happening you know what did ancient egyptians think of ghosts the afterlife uh you know did they fear ghosts death all these good things yeah um we're what's not an ancestor be... and what's a ghost who's going to mess exactly. with you and how do you draw the line what's an ark mm-hmm. what's an ark <laughs> what's what's just a ghost yeah so, yeah. so we weren't we're not going to be talking about like pharaoh's curses and all that hogwash 
Um, that could be another episode. So to begin, mm. ghosts and hauntings. Yeah, I'm in. So my first question to get the the audience kind of on the same page, depending on you know how well read they are with the Egyptian material. What was the Egyptian concept of the afterlife and the dead? You know, did they believe in ghosts? I mean, in our sense of the word ghost, I guess. Obviously, you know that Egyptian afterlife studies take up a massive amount of the library of Egyptology Mm -hmm. and the amount of time that we devote to all of the afterworld books and to the tombs and to the coffins and to the mummies and by extension and all of the time that the ancient Egyptians invested into all of this, we could write volume after volume about Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. But when you're looking at things specifically from the perspective of a ghost of um, a spirit who must be placated or else they Mm -hmm. will they will wreak havoc in some way, then it's a different kind of topic. And, and as usual with these things, I find it very ambivalent that the Egyptians are offering to ancestors using their names and invoking Mm -hmm. them and giving them gifts, writing letters to them, as you know, to try to get them to intercede on their behalf. But on the other side, they're because they propped up ancestors to be so powerful. There's also the understanding that ghosts can create real harm Mm -hmm. for people. And that's, um, that's where the ambivalence comes in. What's a good spirit and what's a bad spirit and how does this work? Well, and then we have the whole, like, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little later, but like Aki cares, like effective spirits, like ones that are really Mm -hmm. powerful. Um, yeah, the ach iker, ach is a word for effective spirit. Essentially, you can't really become an ach until you're dead mm-hmm. and you've passed the tribunal and your heart's been weighed against the feather of truth and you don your white garments and you are an ach, one who is effective. That word just by itself, and that's familiar to many of you from Akhenaten's name, the one who was mm-hmm. effective for the Aten, Akhenaten. Um, it means that you've been empowered. You're like a superhero in mm-hmm. the, in the afterlife. You're somebody who's able to do something for other people. And an ach Iker is an excellent, Even skilled, yeah. amazing, ach who's yeah. going to work for you. And it's, it's a really cool understanding of a good ghost. If you like, like a good witch mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> who's going to intercede on your behalf. It also implies that you have to go to the afterlife to get this mojo and, mm-hmm. and this brings up another point, which is really cool. The idea of animal mummies mm-hmm. that, and this is a much later uh, development. So late period and really after the, the late period. So let's say around 600 BCE and going On up to, to like, Greco-Roman. Yeah, yeah, to Greco-Roman. So, you know, third century BCE, um, you have this idea that Priests are breeding cats for Bastet or hawks for Horus. This is perfect because you lead me right into my next question. Yeah. Like, mani- like heparus, like manifestations where the gods can inhabit yeah. either a statue or a or an animal yeah. as a representation of themselves but and so like if, possess them in a, a sense, but in a good way. So if you're at a Bastet temple and you're a priest and you're, you're raising all of these cats, there's ambivalence here too because you understand that for that cat to become an ach, Iker or mm-hmm. an ach for you, you have to kill it. It has to die or, or it has to die. And the best way to get it to die for you to sell it to somebody is yeah. to kill it. Yeah. And so you have all of these kittens essentially from Boston temples and buried at Saqqara and mm-hmm. other places where you can see that their necks have been broken and then they've been wrapped and sent into the afterlife with a prayer, with a request. But you, there's the understanding that you have to send them 
to the dead, mm-hmm. the world of the dead, so they can bring back what the gods have, yeah. they have to, to give to you. Yeah. And yeah. I think the the opening of the mouth ritual too is an interesting, like making someone, right? It's the necessary process of either making a statue viable mm-hmm. for the god to enter it or the deceased or yeah. Yeah. or the, the mummy to live again. Or mm-hmm. It's a way of taking an inanimate thing. And that inanimate thing can be a coffin. It can be a statue. It can be a mummy that is now mm-hmm. dead and you're going to reawaken it. And you take this dead inanimate thing and you enliven it and you pull in, you name it, mm-hmm. you pull in the name of the thing that you want to have. So, so the Egyptians are in control of this extraordinary power to make something come alive again, to bring the dead to life in a physical form before your eyes in a coffin mummy mm-hmm. set. But at the same time, that power comes with a great deal of after effects, Mm -hmm. if you like, right? Side effects that you don't expect that might involve hauntings. It might involve somebody, some other families, ah, Iker, that are Mm -hmm. doing bad things to you. um, And you have to counter with your family's ancestors, with your ah, Iker. Um, So there's a very close relationship between the living and your ancestors. Yeah. You know, so... To go back to the original question of did mm. the Egyptians believe in the in ghosts in our sense? Yes. Hells yes. Yeah. Um, no question. I think it's a strange thing to ask if people believe in ghosts now. It's a modern question. Yeah. It's a question that in the ancient world you would never even ask because the dead yeah. are kind of all around you. Mm-hmm. And you're always talking to them and you're always, always connecting going with them. To the yeah. tomb and offering. It's a very Abrahamic and, question to ask yeah. if there's ghosts that that you know, there's only one God and you're only allowed to, to ask and for I, things through this one God. You don't ask your ancestors. The ancestors are now out of the question. And ghosts being a, a negative thing mm-hmm. nowadays, like mm-hmm. ghosts equal haunting, but not like a positive, like, oh, they can mm-hmm. help you like Casper, the friendly ghost or something <laughs> coming yeah. to help you. It's always usually like, oh, the person didn't have, you know, has still unsettled business. So they're haunting and can't pass on type right. of thing right. where the, the Egyptian concept is yeah. much different. Much different. And I think most pre-modern people, the concept mm-hmm. of ghosts is much different. Yeah. So to further explore this, so what were the various ways the living could interact with the dead in ancient Egypt? Say, let's just say New Kingdom, Egypt. I think we have our best evidence. Yeah. Um, and there's evidence going all the way back, yeah. you know. So uh, interaction with the dead is, it's now we bring up power and hierarchy mm-hmm. right away because in, who in can a, have a tomb to go visit their dead? And who gets all these to create and manufacture yeah. the Ach yeah. Because if the Ach needs a statue or a coffin money. <laughs> or something to manifest within, then only the rich are going to have access to these empowered dead mm-hmm. to work on behalf of other people, which then reifies the idea that powerful families have, that that power will move generationally ancestors. and will continue forever because mm-hmm. their, their ancestors are super powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yes, the Egyptians are constantly interacting with their dead. What we don't know is how much those Egyptians who couldn't pay for tombs and mm-hmm. statues and coffins, did they talk to their dead? Did they have other altars that so are like less a, preserved? In like their home or something, a exactly. small exactly. altar or something. And, yeah. Or just the very you know, idea of saying maybe just speaking their name mm-hmm. out loud. It's a wonderful for... part in the, the movie Gladiator, you know it, mm-hmm. where he takes out the little statues of his family out of a little pouch and he sets yeah, them up and he prays to the, well, again, he doesn't pray like yeah. this, does he? I don't know what hand movement. I think he did he does this. I don't remember. I think, yeah, he like offering. Yeah. yeah. So he's giving them things and feeding them and, and connecting with his mm-hmm. ancestors. And then he kisses them and puts them back mm-hmm. in the bag. And 
we don't have any little figurines like this from ancient Egypt, but you wonder if people could have some mechanism of just communing or even like their dead heirloom they keep with them of their grandma or something and to have that as the connection connecting piece and what we don't we know, know they about, had altars and homes, right? From Edfu. From Edfu, from, from Amarna, from Daryl Medina. Yeah. We know that there are altars and homes, but, but what rich we, people's homes. In, yeah, or upper middle class, mm-hmm. if you want to use the word yeah. class, it's a problematic word in and of itself. So it's um it's an issue. What we don't know about the poor is a lot in yeah. terms of burial and understanding of the dead because they're not Their writing customs. these things down. So yeah. it's it's tricky. But um but what was your question? What the hell was the Just question? Just how they interact with the dead. Oh, so let's right, take right, like right. a, you know, we're in the one percent. Yeah. Rich Theban family. Yeah. And the you know the uh, the elite cemetery in mm-hmm. Thebes. How do they interact with their their ancestors? So you're you're setting people apart. You're saying that some people are special. The one mm-hmm. percent or two percent or three percent are special. They deserve to be mummified, and live forever. They deserve to have a forever house Mm -hmm. that can be visited um, in the upper part. And then their bodies are put down below in a place that is meant to be sealed. They're allowed to be reified in a statue form and you can go and see them. Right. Mm -hmm. And and they are named Mm -hmm. and they're named with text. And so those, those individuals to connect with them, you would visit on particular feast days, like yeah, the festivals. beautiful Feast of the Valley mm-hmm. in Thebes, um, which is connecting the image of Amun Re on the East Bank mm-hmm. with his burial place on the West Bank and bringing his regeneration full circle. But every dead person got involved in this revivification. Mm-hmm. So it was like a, an Egyptian day of the dead where everyone goes yep. to their family tombs. And a has a big party, a big feast. Yeah, we have evidence right. of the food left over. Yeah. yeah. And you can also imagine if we're talking about the 1%, mm-hmm. right, of thieves, then those people are going to invite the craftsmen and lower elites who are in people their employ. Their patron- patronage network. Exactly. Perhaps, yeah. And they will also invite the peasants who farm their land. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so those people will be a part of their family party. So everyone kind of gets their like community type right. of thing. Yeah. Right. Which is still, you know, and then you get, you know, certain individuals get divinized, right. And become a deified um, in certain locales. But you said it, you said the word patronage, which is perfect. Yep. So of course, you know, what we are, you see like <laughs> <excessive> power <laughs> and hierarchy and differentials of, of society. But so we are, we having a ghost story here <laughs> for a Halloween <laughs> release. And what do we end up talking about? But power. patronage <laughs> and power and hierarchy, but it's, it's true. Who even gets to have a ghost? Mm-hmm. Who The people who get to have a ghost are powerful people. Yep. And then e- all the poor people are looking to those ghosts like they would look at a saint. Yep. So like you would look at St. Jerome or St. Anne or St. Mm-hmm. Cecilia, whichever saint You're is a your saint. person. I'm going to go to you. Yeah. You can do something for yeah. me. And if you go to Egypt, my if you go to Egypt today and you're a part of the Muslim world, you know, there are special Same. sheikhs mm-hmm. and you go to the sheikh's little um, shrine and mm-hmm. you make offerings to the sheikh and the they sheikh. still have like a beautiful feast of the valley. Yes, they when do. When we were there Absolutely. last time, uh, Hamdi was telling us about it yeah. and they're like, oh yeah, we go up to this thing, this sheikh's tomb on a certain day and. So, you know, there's the automatic understanding that some ghosts are powerful and some ghosts are not. Some yep. individuals yep. in the afterlife are powerful, powerful, some are not. And it's the, the same rules of this world seem to follow you mm-hmm. in the next, which brings up the, um, the, the idea that functional materiality, that phrase that I like to use mm-hmm. in my first book, 
is something that works in the Egyptian mindset, the ancient Egyptian mindset in this world, and then in the next. So whoever gets to get mummified and get the nice coffins and other things. They're going to make it farther. Yeah. And they're going to be more effective, more, more able to work on behalf of their family members. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a relationship between you go to your immediate ancestor because you think, oh, we have a direct connection. So they'll be looking out for me. Yeah. Or you go to the super powerful, like local you know, head honcho or something. I mean, if you have a big problem, like say you're, I don't know what your, your daughter is married to some dude who's treating her badly or you're sick or you're sick. A lot of the letters to that always focus on like I'm ill and help me or something. Yeah. The the sickness is something that the ancestors are able to help and intercede on, on your behalf. I bet that people would, would cross all their T's and dot all their I's and do everything that they needed to do. So they would visit the big patron person. They would, they would probably yeah, in their own house do like a, a silent meditation or maybe a verbalized thing in front of everybody in whatever mm-hmm. form of a shrine they have that we mm-hmm. don't have preserved necessarily or don't understand. You don't need a physical shrine, you know, I mean, you know, there's just soul houses, space. right? We have those little yeah, soul, soul houses, houses that but even say just like the, like in Muslim tradition, you pray a certain direction. It might mm-hmm. just be a certain direction you look or it could be you look to the west not, you, you know pray to the ancestors tangible. yeah um, and then you also go to the important dude's tomb mm-hmm. and make an offering to him yep. as well but that requires money again right mm-hmm. to make the offering you have to put yeah. down the, the dough it does so it's a um it's the same as going into a catholic church and you light mm-hmm. a candle and you put money into the box yep. as, and then you get the candle and you, light and it you and can light it prayer, there yeah. there is an exchange that's mm-hmm. that's taking place it's not maybe so crass as the catholic church before martin luther with indulgences where you can buy <laughs> your way out of sin right yeah but um but it's not that different i was gonna say really. i feel like there's it's not that different <sighs> yeah so yeah. you know if you can get a heart scarab of precious green stone help get you into would put your name on it and say oh heart of my mother tribunal. heart of my mother do not betray me in the halls of justice mm-hmm. like you know what i've done don't speak up when i say that i'm clean i'm pure i'm pure i'm pure well let's just be baptized together here and be mm-hmm. pure and it is something Let that heart that magic with the green stone who can afford that so it's it's super leaps. yeah it's something that is differentiated depending on who you are mm-hmm. so. back to spooky yeah so do the Egyptians fear the dead? Mm. Death? We can talk about that's a bigger topic or the underworld of like of people coming to like haunt them or um you know people using ox or you, people using their ox power against them from like ghosts acting against them. Yeah. I think fear is always there. A healthy amount of fear in the other side on the other side of the veil if you mm-hmm. like. Um, maybe a better word. Um, or what there's that old kingdom example of the, if you enter my tomb, unpure, yeah. I'm going to throttle you like a duck. Well, explain I, what like, that means. So, you know, you, to enter the tomb, you need to be pure. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, you know, wob pure. And that if you enter unpure, so you're not cleansed, ritually pure, yeah. um, you'll pollute the tomb and the, the deceased is going to get mad at you and he's going to come get you as an effective ock yeah um so we, there's a across the door jam it says like if you enter my tomb on pure i will throttle you like a duck like snap your neck and yeah bring you bring you neck into bring you like a duck yeah. and yeah. just which means that 
people were going into tombs impure somehow. Yeah. They were doing things that they weren't necessarily supposed to do. Whenever you, this is a Looting. historical <laughs> trick. If you, if you see a text that says, don't do this, it means people were doing mm-hmm. it. It's a useful way of reading. Like my son came home with don't Hammurabi's laws. I'm like, if they say that, you know, th- that this you will happen, it means it's, it's mm-hmm. happening. Um, so, so use that the opposite as a, as a way of dealing with things. But, but the better word I think is awe that there is always Hmm. an awe in the other side, in the afterlife, in the divinities. And that is, there's a healthy amount of awe in the Egyptian mindset. And so they, they're going to look at their dead from that perspective. Yeah. 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 The best one I think I found was um, an Ostraka, um, a gardener. Yeah. So O Gardener 363 and Uh it's a spell against night terror. So can you read it to protect so I wasn't able to find the exact, it was under uh, lock and key yeah. online, um, but I know what it's about. And it was, so it was about someone was wanted a spell to protect them yeah. against a um, spirit entering their home um, and um, performing a sexual act upon them. Oh my goodness. So, so um, that's, there's a fear that, and we know that, you know, geez. Egyptians to you know live again and be revivified it means you also have sexual function yeah so that the ghost could then come from the afterlife or as an ock and was it a male ghost that was doing this mm-hmm. sexual act not so, a female it was a male so interesting yeah um to track down the article it wasn't available online so because in the western mindset medieval western mindset of mm-hmm. witchcraft and other things like lilith and, and well there's the idea of the succubus right is that mm-hmm. the correct yep, word yep, i think yep. where this this the evil demon lady this witch lady ghost thing will gonna come seduce and you seduce and, you when it's yeah. the female doing it to the male mm-hmm. it's interesting that the only example um you have from pharaonic times for this i don't know if it's the only example only, yeah. one would have to look um is a feet is a male doing it to to another, another male, male potentially um and what Jordan was talking about with um, the deceased having to be sexualized yeah. is super Activated, interesting yeah. because there, and I've written some on this. So you can look at my Squarespace page and see uh, what I, what I've written about this. And many Egyptologists have written about this, that the creation of the world and the creation of the sun God after his death, the creation of Osiris um, after his murder is to revivify yourself sexually. Mm-hmm. And this is depicted in some places quite explicitly uh, as in a like cartoon-like fashion, step one, step two, step three. Mm-hmm. And there's the deceased, like, like let's go to the rooftop of, of Dendera. Yep, um, I remember. The Osiris rooftop on, on Dendera's mm-hmm. temple. And there you have Osiris laying dead on his funerary bier. He's been mummified and they're ready to commit him to his new coffin, mm-hmm. right? And the next one, he, his penis is erect, right? It's ready to go. Ready to go. And then the next one, he reaches out his hand to masturbate himself back into existence. And then the next one, you see Isis as a bird yeah. fluttering over the penis <laughs> to collect the seed of Horus. And step mm-hmm. by, and then you see Osiris lifting up his whole body. He's, he is now awake and alive. And it was the sexual activity, the rising of the penis mm-hmm. first, it allows him to rise as an entire being. And the Egyptians are not shy about talking about this or showing it. It is the alpha and omega of new life and it is 
the, the creation of the world has coffin texts that rich one percenters who put on their coffins that said things like an Atum took his penis in his grasp that he might make orgasm with it. And the, there's also <laughs> autoflatio examples. It's so true. It's the best um, when we're teaching Egyptian religion to the undergrads. Yeah. And you're like, we get to talk about this. And, it, you don't and have people sleeping like, in your class. It's so true. Um, but you have a point that if you awaken the dead through sexuality, they can use it against you. Yeah. And that you're feeding the ka spirit and the ka mm -hmm. is associated with words for penis mm -hmm. and sex yep. and the cot is the vagina, mm -hmm. right? And so ka is food, ka is a soul sustenance. So food and sex are kind of the same thing and food, sex and spirit Life. are kind of the same yeah. thing. And, -giving and so the deceased, the dead ghost that might be a little lost or empowered, but with no place to mm -hmm. put his empowerment um, <laughs> or looking to, <laughs> one can imagine pissed this. off a ghost. Maybe. Yeah, I can imagine in the imagination of the Egyptians who are combining this sexuality and feeding um, that things could somehow go too far That's or right. get out of so control. You need, a, you need a spell to protect yourself. You do. You do. Yeah. And apparently, um, and this is a Dira Medina ostracon, the, mm -hmm. the gardener one. Yep. That's interesting. So, yeah, spell um, against night terrors. So, someone okay. was having some bad dreams. Yes. And then, so they probably went to their local magician or mm -hmm. a wise One woman ladies, or something. Yeah, the and they're like, I don't know, let's write it down. Cause mm -hmm. you actually get it written down yeah. on an ostracon is just a tiny flake mm -hmm. of limestone or a potsherd. And you write on it in ink mm -hmm. and uh, red or black or other colors. If those are available for a pictorial ostracon and ostracon singular ostraca plural, That's which right. I always mess up. Yeah. It's okay. It's like papyrus, singular papyri plural. Yeah damn Greeks. Yes. Um, it's not a language the Egyptians were using. So until later, but so does it matter? Sure. So moving on to demons. Yeah. So within, you know, say just take the new kingdom book, of the dead, these, these books, there's over 2,500 different demons. If we want to call them that we can, we're not going to get into the, like how we define these, these terms, but supernatural entities, yeah. right. Beyond yeah. beyond uh supernatural entities of great power yeah um so why do you think we have so many showing up in these books you know what's their role and function within these these underworld books for the deceased to have to go through all these mm. trials and tribulations why yeah. do we have all these demons showing up i know you know from earlier middle kingdom we have these wands that have demons depicted on them i mean mm -hmm. this is a whole other kind of topic but i yeah. just wanted to touch on kind of more and I guess, too, here's another question. When we think of demons and, you know, a Western perspective, it's always a negative thing. It's a demons trying to do something bad to you. Yeah. Is it that whole truth for the Egyptian? You know, are they always trying to do something bad to the deceased in the under underworld or can they be to your uh, advantage as well? And you know that this idea of demons being demonized yep. is an Abrahamic Judeo-Christian, mm -hmm. Islamic, Mormon reality. A monotheistic. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. In which this plurality needs, this, this empowered plurality needs to be othered and, and put mm -hmm. into another category. And God is the only one yep. true thing. Um, but in polytheistic societies, demons are just lesser gods mm -hmm. in a sense, or frightening beings yeah, that have extraordinary daemons. power. Daemons. Yeah. Because, you know, right from the Coptic, it comes from Ach. Yeah. Into Ich. And then daemon from the, in it's also daemon in the Coptic from the Greek. Oh, okay. So they, but it, they take it, the word, I believe, in like, like for ghost or demon is from ach. Okay. Okay. So if I remember my Coptic. 
but but then you know these beans in if you're looking at an Egyptian coffin or you're looking at a book of the dead and mm-hmm. they have, as you say, coffins, they have might so many call examples them of guardians, them. you know, mm-hmm. or they might call them just gods of the underworld or I mean, there's all kinds so protective, of protective. They can be protective. They can absolutely not be protective. Necessarily vengeful. No. Or... So think of something like the evil eye warding mm-hmm. off the evil eye. You need something really freaking scary mm-hmm. to get that evil eye uh, to pop hip hop hippo with a yeah. alligator tail exactly and a knife um so you need like something that's like a face full of fire or mm-hmm. um you know like vengeful cats a vengeful cat that's <laughs> spitting fire or something that um you've got flames shooting out of the eyes literally mm-hmm. there's all kinds of different things snake head or something like that or a beetle head mm-hmm. or something absolutely frightening but the the egyptians were clever about taking that thing that is super frightening and then claiming it and mm-hmm. using it as their own. And so some examples would be like, well, who's the God of mummification? Anubis. Anubis. And what does Anubis do? Jackal. What do you mean? I mean, what well, jackals in do? real life, jackals are, they're animals that scavenge. They're mm-hmm. angry dogs that could attack you and kill you. They or they, the I mean, if they're margins, scavengers, they rip they, apart they the, dead. the dead. They eat yeah. the dead. So then what do they do with that animal? But they make him, him the protector the of the dead. In charge of it. Yeah. Exactly. So they take that most frightening power that he has and they turn it. Mm-hmm. And what does the hippo do? But it's almost like the child deactivating from the, it. It is deactivating yeah, it ritually. Flipping it. You take that power and then you turn it. So they, that hippo mm-hmm. snatches the child from the riverbank. Now you make it the goddess of child. <laughs> exactly. You give it a pregnant hippo who's probably the fiercest of all the hippos. Like she's going to, she doesn't Badass. have any Fs left to give because yeah. she's like protecting her baby mm-hmm. and she's, she's super. Angry. Well, and then you make a hippo croco- crocodile mix yeah. and it's like even more. Yeah. Put those things together and and then you have extraordinarily frightening mm-hmm. demons. So, you know, the afterlife is full of all of these things and it's kind of protective and frightening and awe-inspiring at the same time because when you go into the afterlife space, you're supposed to go into the hall of truth or the hall of two truths, depending on how you want to translate it. And there's many different ways of understanding that, different podcasts. And you, you stand there and you've got the 42 demons mm-hmm. or uh, gods of the underworld yeah. or the tribunal or whatever words you want to use. And they're, they're described in some ways and sometimes depicted in books of the dead mm-hmm. with really scary, frightening faces. And you have to face them and you have to know their names. You have to know what they're called to yeah. placate them. And yeah. you bow before them and, and, and acknowledge their power. And if you can do that and they respect you for it, then they will. And if your heart is true, then they will protect you on the other side. Mm-hmm. So you, what you are to face in the afterlife in terms of a pop fist and destruction of existence yeah. itself is uh-uh. so frightening that you need that to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so those demons are. So that's why they show up in books of the dead or on mm-hmm. coffins later. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you actually depict these need things. to know mm-hmm. what you're going to be up against. Mostly they depict them on the inside of a 21st dynasty mm-hmm. coffin of the coffins of my period. And they're all, there holding knives, you know, they'll, they're squatting mm-hmm. and holding their little knives. Those knives are not for the deceased. Mm-hmm. Those knives are for enemies of the deceased and you're surrounding the deceased. You're co-opting them. You are co-opting your... that power and using them to fight off any, mm-hmm. any bad, other bad mm-hmm. entities. Yeah. 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 So the, it's, it's a world filled with threat and it's a world filled with threat and you're using your ancestors, protective demons, um, anything that you can to so here's to a question towards you. What happens to a person if they fail going to 
where, you know, so it's like always this option of not making it yeah. to live on. We were just talking and about you this fail. On, my, on my Facebook today. Cause I posted a picture of the goddess. If you understand her as a goddess or a demon, she doesn't have any temples. Amit, right. Yeah. The devourer, yep. the one who is part hippo, part crocodile, part lion. Yep. Um, you put all those together and she's, she looks like a little dog with jaws open, ready to eat the heart <laughs> that's being put on the scale next to the feather of truth. And if it doesn't weigh, um, properly, then she gets to eat the heart and then you cease to exist. You're gone. You, you're not there yep. any longer. And so that that's, you know, she's female and the image that I just depicted has her with all of these little teats, um, as a a being that is just given birth to more such demons and is feeding those demons. But in a way it makes sense though, because, you know, in nature, females, mothers are the, that's the time when you don't want to meet the animal, right? Yeah, that's true. when she's the most dangerous that most she'll charge ferocious. at you and attack you like a bear. You know, you meet a bear in the wild, like not a big deal. You meet a mom bear with cubs, yeah. bad yeah. news. Yeah. The most instinctually sure any... able to understand where real threat is. Yeah. Is they, a mom yeah, with yeah. her babies. Yeah. Um, and somebody else pointed out, I don't remember who it was on my Facebook. I apologize. But somebody pointed out that mothers whose young die or aren't viable, mm-hmm. they eat their own young. Mm-hmm. And I I'm don't know just about reading about this in my Neanderthal book. Really? Yeah. And Kindred, they're talking about like infanticide and eating uh, of cannibalism and how oh it's very common. And that um, Homo sapiens, we were doing it too. We were doing it too. There's actually more evidence of us doing it than for Neanderthals. Oh my goodness. Yeah, very interesting. That's crazy. Kindred, if you're interested. But mammals eating their young, I mean, that's not like a completely weird. normal thing, mm-hmm. right? It's, it happens all the time. So, you know, re- nutrients and. Yeah. So this idea of Amit, the devourer, who's, who meets somebody whose soul is black and dark and bad, and she eats that. It's like she's the mother of that person and then just takes it back mm-hmm. um, to give birth she to something birth else that's better. It, yeah. it's, it's kind of cool. So there's, there's all kinds of backstories to these demons that one could work with more, which is um, super interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so we've mentioned... Ba, Kaz, yeah, Ox. Yeah. So I think we should maybe quickly define them yeah, for everyone. Yeah, you want to start because it's so hard. So what's, yeah, what's an easy way of understanding? Um, and so these are aspects of a person. So we can talk about a person is made up of their Ren, their name, their shadow, suit, um, Ka, Ba, Ak, yeah. which they get at various stages their in their life. Their body or their core, Their actual body. Yeah. Soft um, sometimes comes into play too. Using yeah, there's two out. words for body, which is um, like a mummified, preserved one, and then the, the yeah, body the without the preservation. Person. Yeah, or body and then preserved body. Yeah. Um. So first, let's define these, and then we can talk about how they're related to the deceased and interactions and ghosties. I so, mean, well, you know, there's no good way to define yeah. them, and you know that if you put two Egyptologists in a room, that they won't agree. <laughs> yeah. On how one is to define these things, so it's it's really really tricky. So um, I guess we can just say, so a ka is the aspect that you give offerings to in a tomb. It's, yeah, it's the, very attached to the, the tomb locale. The one that feeds, yeah, if you like. And and many Egyptologists say this is the spirit of divinity. And it's like in Tut's tomb, we, it's the double. Yeah. He's shown with his ka. That, that everyone who's born has a ka with them mm-hmm. at all times that can be angry or pleased, satisfied, dissatisfied. Yeah. So that when you, have, you die, separates. Yeah from you as your corporal body versus like 
all these get our messy translations in English, like spirit or soul or it whatever. Yeah, it's it not really good. Work. And when the Egyptians have four different words for spirit or soul, then you, you know do. you've got trouble. And it's one of the best places to read about this is Jan Osman's mm-hmm. book on the afterlife. Um, I think it's called Death and the Afterlife mm-hmm. in Ancient Egypt. Yep. And he talks about these different parts of the person being fragmented and splintered at death, that when you're alive, you've got them all in your hole. Um, potentially even the ach, I'm not sure. Do you, you only get That's that with death debated, yeah. when you come when back together comes. again and then you become super empowered. But anyway, the ka is the spirit that needs to be fed, yeah. needs to be sexed, if you like. Yeah. So, and like ka statues, ka statues. Yeah. You know, you think of Joser's That's what you offer to. That's what the Ka inhabits. That statue you offer to it. It's the one that can receive things from you. Yeah. So that interacts with the dead. Yeah. I mean, with the living to a degree. And and you can see it, right? If you have a Ka statue and you go to a tomb, you're interacting with that and you're... And it has the... It can have the Ka arms on it. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It depends. Um, But yeah, the Ka is depicted as open arms like Mm -hmm. this. Arms of worship if you like, because mm-hmm. the Egyptians would worship like the baboons would warm themselves in the sun. And the cod looks like that, um, often placed on top of someone's head. But but yeah, it's associated with the exchange, mm-hmm. give and take exchange that I worship you, you give me something back. I give you food, you give me something back. I have sex with you, you are nice to me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the ka is probably the most confusing I think, of them I think to too, define. Like, the ba makes sense. You see depictions of what, ba. How do you understand the ba? So ba to me is more... This more what happens after death, the thing that kind of lives on, it can move around. It's depicted with, you know, as a bird with a human head. Yeah. It can, it can leave, it comes back. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think to me, it's the connection between the physical corpse. So the mummy or whatever, mm-hmm. and the afterlife, it's the thing that travels between the body and the afterlife. Yeah. And the cause, like the thing that travels between like the tomb and kind of the living but it seems more uh localized i mean it's hard but it's hard connected with and then the, you have the, ah, the world which of the just living. makes it even messier i mean the ba i would often say to students the spirit of mobility because you can yep. your ba can leave your corpse wherever that is in a burial Fly. chamber somewhere go into the inside of the sky mm-hmm. to be with the sun god um when the sun is setting have your one last hurrah and party and then you have to go back to your your body. your body and that's why the egyptians when they saw birds flying at sunset they're like oh those are the bosses that are celebrating as the sun is about to set and then when the sun sets the birds all go away and they go back to the land of the dead is mm-hmm. the understanding yep. um but anyway yeah bah. and then what was the, the ah. we yeah. kind of touched on yeah. but essentially it's the more i think the part of the person that interacts most with mm. the living or can be of most use to the living, right? Because it can be effective for it's people, you know, in the letters to the dead, it's always they're asking the ach. Yeah, they are. They're not they asking are. the ka or the ba. They're always asking for the ach to come do something. Yeah. And or, why or saying you ach, are an effective ach. Why is the ach not a ka? Why mm-hmm. do we differentiate in this way? Um, I don't understand the answer to messy. this. It is super messy. Um yeah, but it's the empowered soul after death. And when you see an ach depicted, I would argue that they're gendered. So they're given either a male or female mm-hmm. sex. They're shown wearing the white pleated garments, pure white pleated garments. Yep. They often have a fat cone on their heads yep. with a beautiful scent. So they're clean, hygienic. They smell good. Um, 
and they're wealthy, you know? So even if you see an ah, like in the tomb of Sinejim farming mm-hmm. the fields, they're farming the fields with their full regalia, their full dress, yeah. their wigs and all and their Donna. stuff. And they're out there farming. <laughs> so that's what it means to be an ah. But yeah, the ah is the, I can't say that. I think oh, that's this is the to one me that, the closest ghost. I, I think that in works. In our sense of terms. I think that works. Obviously yeah. that's. Um, it's an empowered one. It's the superhero spirit mm-hmm. that you need to be careful of. Yeah. So that can yeah be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of wrapping up our ghosties talk, any particular texts or objects that make you think of ghosts or hauntings from ancient Egypt? Well, there's Khonsu Emhab and the ghost. Well, so right? what's, what's that story? That's uh, a 20, t- late 20th, early 21st dynasty story. Where was it found? Western Thebes, obviously. But, um, you know, I don't know what the fine story of yeah. that of that you can check is. and put it in the we show can notes. put it in the show notes we we won't try to do it now but um amber's on it amber yeah, thanks <laughs> let us know where it was found with you um but it's a super interesting text because it's about i don't think i've the, ever read it yeah it's what it's about the high priest of Amun. yeah um so he's a super important one percenter you know yeah. arguably at the time period we're talking about that the most important man mm-hmm. in upper egypt right super important guy and he's being haunted by a middle kingdom dude who is weeping all the time and disturbing him, disturbing his sleep and his life. And he's like, what do you want me to do? How can I help mm-hmm. you? And he's like, I used to be this amazing guy who worked for Mentu Hotep Nebhepet Ray. And I need hmm. you to treat me with respect. And, you know, I, I'm missing all of the things so that I can connect with the living and, and live in a positive way in the afterlife. And so he provides him with a whole funerary set of nested coffins. And they are said to be gilded, which is amazing. Oh. Because this is a time period of crisis when everyone is reusing coffins because they can't afford to give coffins to a fresh wood for their own relatives because the wood stands have been compromised. So they give him a new coffin set and they give him they give him a gilded coffin set. It Mm -hmm. says of gold and they include canopic jars for his organs and a whole bunch of other things. And then the story is broken. But it seems that that Khonsu Emhab, the high priest of Amun, doesn't get haunted anymore. But talk about ambivalence and fears of what the world has become because these people are living in a time period in which the gold mines have been shut down. Mm -hmm. The tree stands are not producing the way that they used to for acacia and sycamore and things like this, Christ thorn, tamarisk wood, stuff like that. And people are going into Western Thebes as like a bank vault to, to take. So it's like, did, was this guy involved in looting some tombs and now is feeling we, a little guilty or having some nightmares know. about spirits haunting him? We know that Pionk and Harry mm-hmm. Hor, both named as high priests of Amun, were involved in this kind of looting or organized sanctioned, sanctioned re-commodification, yeah. <laughs> if you want. That's the kind of thing that I, I might say in a paper. It is re-commodification. Yeah. And they're involved in this and they're opening, systematically opening up the tombs in the Valley of the Kings. Mm-hmm. And may, But maybe when this text was written, they're not doing that yet, a little but they're dealing with the morality and the, yeah. the repercussions, the, the psychological and spiritual repercussions mm-hmm. of doing work like this. So... There, there's obviously a great deal of anxiety within the population and mm-hmm. it's coming out in this ghost story. And like to be haunted by someone who lived a thousand years yeah. ago. But who's the guy that's haunting? That's the other cool thing. And it brings us right back to yeah. what we were talking about before about hierarchy and who gets to have a, mm-hmm. a, an afterlife existence at all. The guy was a super rich one percenter who was doing the haunting and he was a really <laughs> important 
administrator and soldier or general, if you like, in, in Mentuhotep's mm-hmm. presence. He wasn't the king. It just shows you, but, too, the, the lasting legacy of uh, Mentuhotep's mortuary. It also temple. shows you that they're going through a lot of Middle Kingdom yeah, tombs and we're right modifying them. Well, you see, like, Mentu Amhat's tomb, like, right in front. Uh, Montu Amhat, 25th dynasty or Montu Yeah, later. Yeah, oh, Montu Amhat, 25th dynasty. Yeah, later on. But, like, um, they're still in that, you know. Yeah. No, and the soft tombs are there. So mm-hmm. you know that those 25th dynasty tombs are there. Um, it also, what was I going to say about Middle Kingdom? Powerful tw- guy, general. Powerful guy, general. Um, oh, I can't remember. Lasting it's okay. No, okay. don't worry. Don't worry. Um, that's, a, that's a good story. I haven't, I haven't, what is that written in? Uh, Heratic. Yeah. Okay. On, I say we haven't, on never papyrus, translated. Yeah, never translated that. For us? Oh, it's okay. oh, it's on an Hieratic Astrica. on Astrica. Multiple pottery vessels as preserved. Is it is it in at least, Leiden? At least two. At least two. Vessels, multiple fragments, but there is this idea that they think that it was copied. That the pottery was copied from an early Renaissance period of papyrus that was mm-hmm. paginated. This is that's cool. That's oh, okay. Okay. So um, possibly older. Yeah, but preserved really on cool. pottery vessels, which proves that they're copying this thing in a domestic mm-hmm. context, not necessarily in a Valley of the Kings context. But yeah, yeah interesting. What's this, where is it now? Where are the ostraca? It doesn't say right here. Um, look it up. We'll does it. it say what the ostraca are called? What number they are? No, but I have the publications here from the Grave and uh, Possumer. Okay. Oh, so it is probably Dermadina if it's Posner. No, I'm sure it's Western Thebes. Okay. The question is what museum it's in there. Oh, yeah. But we can look it up. We'll find it um, and put it out there. It's a great text. Okay. So just to continue, I have some letters to the dead. Yeah. Um, that I'm going to read some excerpts from you and get your opinions, thoughts okay. on. Okay. But before we get to them, can you explain what this corpus of texts are? There aren't many letters to the dead, probably mm-hmm. about a dozen altogether. And they extend from, I think, the old kingdom. I think the earliest one is first intermediate period. Yeah. Going all the way to, is the Tenth latest dynasty. one the Tenth, 21st dynasty one? Probably. Yeah. I have just some pulled Or from, 20th dynasty? From yeah, latest first intermediate period, period, middle kingdom. Yeah. Ones are the... Uh, and they're essentially you're you're writing to the ah whatever spirit you want to to help you and mm-hmm. you're complaining about your life something's gone wrong you're sick or somebody's messing with your crops or somebody's taking your stuff in some way mm-hmm. and trying to exert influence on you and you reach out to your ancestors and say come on I need you to I need you to wake up here yeah. and work on my What's behalf up? and um, it's it's a really interesting genre and people have talked about these as it's amazing we have any written down at all. Because what one would expect is that this happened every day, all the time throughout Egypt. You would go to your patron, ach, if yeah. you like, and make a request verbally. But to write it down, it adds another yeah, like layer. Why, why do you have to write it down? Why send a letter? Well, and then the it gets into like how many people can write. Did mm-hmm. you pay someone to write this down for you? Did you go to a scribe and say, can you transcribe this for me? And also, you know, it's super private. You don't necessarily want people to know if you have enemies, what it is you're upset about. Well, a lot about. of them are on like the back of pots, like the mm-hmm. one I'm, it's like on a pot that then is offered. So maybe it's like to make the offering more mm-hmm. effective that it has the, I think the that the direct notation, the best comparison I can make today is if you go to the wailing wall or you go to a saint statue and mm-hmm. it's the cultural way to write something on a little piece of paper, roll it up and put it in something. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. You don't expect anyone else to read it. 
it's for the gods. It's for the unseen to be Mm -hmm. able to, to read that text. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the first one we have is a message from Mary TV Mm -hmm. to Nebit F and it's from Nagadir, the 10th dynasty. Um, And he's, so he's writing to his wife who is deceased. Yeah. He says, how are you? Is the West taking care of you as you desire? Uh, Look, I am your beloved on earth. So fight for me, intercede for my name. I have not garbled a spell before you while making your name live upon the earth. Drive off the illness of my limbs. And he asks for her to appear to him in a dream, which is really cool. Wow. So he's saying, I didn't, I haven't screwed up. I've been giving you all your stuff. So like, why am I sick? Yeah. Um, And I haven't garbled. Like, I suppose that means I didn't go and like say it super fast or or like rush through it or make a mistake that he's been doing everything he needs to. So why are you not um, protecting me as Mm -hmm. you should? That's really interesting. To ask to say, appear in a dream and let me know you, you got this and they're going to help me out and. I think we all have those stories of somebody we know who's died and then we dream about them. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. then people are like, oh, they visited you. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, you know, it's just or a like, dream. I don't know. And yeah. it all depends on perception. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the aura? What were you going to say? Well, I'd say, or like you see something like that reminds you of them or like, I know people think like, oh, it's so-and-so like in the spirit of the cat I just bought or, mm-hmm. you know, or the dog or a bird or something. They yeah. re-inhabit something else. My grandmother had a story that I always remember she told me as a kid multiple times that when her, her mother died when she was only nine of the so-called Spanish flu, um, like 1918, 1919. And, and then her, she became very close to her aunt and then her aunt died. And on the day that she died, she remembers um, sitting, being asleep and then waking up and seeing her aunt sitting at the foot of the bed Mm. and say, and just kind of, it was very comforting. Yeah. And then she went back to sleep. And then she found out that her aunt had died. And you wonder about stories like that. Um, Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a ghost story that my grandmother told me and, and I still remember it and it meant something to me. And it's one of my ways as a child of understanding how the dead interact with the living, how they might say their last goodbyes, how they care and come back. Or how people to be more like psychological about it, like deal with the passing of someone and, you know, cope and, my, my grandmother was convinced that she had come to say goodbye and let her know mm-hmm. that everything would be and all right. Sure, and you said it was a comforting experience. Yeah. She probably felt like, oh, she's at peace. Everything's okay. Yeah. And, and that was one of my first ghost stories, mm-hmm. um, really like a real one. And uh, it's it's been a way that I've worked with mm-hmm. um, this other plane, <laughs> if you believe yeah. in that, um, ever since. So, yeah. The next one I have, which I also enjoy because it's from a wife to her deceased husband and she's it's entitled to the unhelpful husband really <laughs> oh but that's the title that's that the, the, title the scholars that, um, gave it the scholars gave it yes the un- that uh, parkinson gave it that's awesome um so it's sent by daddy to her um to her dead husband and she goes as for the serving girl who was ill so they're they're made as ill can you not fight for her day and night with any man who is doing her harm and any woman who is doing her harm why do you want your threshold to be made desolate? Fight for her so that she may be reestablished and libations poured for you. So she's threatening him that I'm not going to give you your offerings yeah. and pour your libations if you yeah. if our serving girl dies. It is an exchange. If there's no help from you, your house will be destroyed. <gasps> Don't you know that it's the serving maid who makes your house amongst men? 
fight for her, watch over her, save her from those who are doing her harm. Then your house and your children will shall be established. Good be your hearing. So she's she's often threats, which is very interesting to threaten. And the the key role the serving girl plays apparently in this household, which is interesting. I mean, I suppose that someone's trying to take the serving girl to another household and then she'll lose all of her in-house help. And that she's sick, apparently. Yeah. Um, but this was inside of a bowl. I like the threat. Yeah. If you don't do what I he, then what we're I need, not going to give you offerings I, and you're not going to live again. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not there helping me and we're done. Any other kind of little ghost things you can think of? I mean, you know, I, I would add that a lot of our evidence for ghosts comes from a place that is an Acropolis where mm-hmm. people are living in the land of the dead. Yep. And that would be Dero Medina in particular, where you, you have people for generations that whose job is to build and decorate the tombs in the Valley of the Kings, Valley of the Queens, probably other tombs as well. And they are housing the dead. Mm-hmm. That's, that's their job, very special dead, Royal dead, but they're, they're also living amongst the dead because their own communities dead are right across the way in their own village because that's where they live. So I think a lot of the the things that we read have that particular perspective Mm -hmm. about people who are living amongst the dead. And if you go to Cairo today, there's a very famous area called Mm -hmm. the cities of the dead where the caretakers who are, who are meant to not necessarily make offerings, but keep these places clean and and safe and tidy and tended are living in the tombs. They're living amongst the tombs. Mm-hmm. And there's so many of these people that they've, it's become urban spaces with post boxes and, mm-hmm. and little shops and workshops and other yeah. things. So it's, it's a normal thing to have a segment of society that is meant to live with the dead. And then they generationally live with the dead. Yeah. 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 So much more we could possibly touch upon yeah. and talk about, but so we'll leave uh, ghosts and hauntings there. Uh, okay. We'll take a quick break and when we come back, we'll get into Ancient Egypt true crime. (laughs) Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review and help raise our profile and let others know about it. Send your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the video version of the show on my YouTube page, and full show notes will be posted in the podcast section of my website, karakuni.squarespace.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books, upcoming lectures, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives with Karakuni.